Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Anakin Chadwick. She's a physiotherapist in British Columbia. She was born, raised, and trained in the UK. She owns and operates the Cheerful Pelvis, which is a pelvic health physiotherapy clinic in BC. She's a mentor to other pelvic health physiotherapists, an educator, a philosopher, and a wonderful writer. In this episode, Anakin shares with us what led to her burnout in pelvic health physiotherapy and how she had to recognize that and make the conscious decision to move into her own inner work and inner healing in order to be fully present and connect with her clients and provide the most optimal care and still find fulfillment in her work every single day. She did this specifically through somatic psychotherapy, which she will talk more about. And you might find that we make reference to a presentation she'll be doing or will have done by the time this episode airs for the Congress event through the Canadian Physiotherapy Association, just so that you can follow us along as we're chatting about this. So grab your drink of choice. I hope you enjoy this episode and get a lot out of it. And let's chat. Hi, Anakin. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for joining me today. Pleasure. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this, knowing oneself personally, professionally, and how that kind of better helps us connect with patients in our practice. Because this is such an enlightening topic to me, because I think we're so used to learning about others all the time, right? And how we can help others and not enough about ourselves. I'm excited to dive in with you. But first, before we do that, can you just tell our listeners and myself, I know you a bit, but can you tell us a little bit more about who you are? Yeah, my name is Anakin Chadwick. I'm a physiotherapist and I've been 
sort of deep into pelvic health for the last 10 years. I've been a physio for about 14 years. I trained in the UK, but I've been working in BC for about 12 years. And I really, my path through into pelvic health took me through some personal challenges with really complex trauma in patients, and then took me through a path of training in somatic psychotherapy just to help me personally in my personal life. But it helped me massively, particularly the chronic pain and the trauma history sort of demographic clients that I saw. And I went down a real path of realizing how little we were taught that in physiotherapy and how helpful it was and how sort of simple it is. It's not complicated. It's very simple, but it's just not easy to learn and apply because it's often shifts in perspective rather than just knowledge acquisition, shifts in the way that you are and the way that you show up rather than just learning another technique. But yeah, I found it just massively improved my joy and affinity with work, really much better outcomes with my clients. And then I ended up just completing a master's of education where I'm learning how to teach these things. Because I definitely felt a calling. I was like, oh, all physios should know this. I'm not, you know, you see trauma and complex emotional things in all areas of physio. All physios should have these skills but how do you teach them? We're not taught to teach or taught to learn in that way. So I just completed a master's to help me sort of explore that a little bit more. That's amazing. So in terms of your own personal challenges, you don't have to get too personal about it, but was it that, I don't want to assume, but was it that there, were you having challenges in terms of connecting when you started working in pelvic health? I would say more so that People would tell me that people are coming in after stillbirths, recurrent miscarriage, sexual traumas, rapes, recent rapes, and I just was not equipped. I'm a fairly naturally emotionally intelligent person, as opposed to other ways of intelligence that you can have that I struggle (laughs) with more. That's where I find that it's easiest for me to learn. And I found that connection and empathy came really easily, but what to do with that next and taking that home and feeling burnt out because of that was really more where my problem was. Okay, so that's what I was going to ask you next is, have you experienced bouts of burnout, compassion fatigue, or even moral injury with respect to your practice and the nature of the concerns that your patients were coming to you with? Yeah, absolutely. I remember the specific days that I remember where I just felt like it was sexual abuse day and it was every client. And I felt like by the end of the day, I just was barely functioning. And I've definitely had bouts where I realized I'm just not caring as much about my patients right now. I can tell that I'm less invested. I've started going through the motions. And that means it's well past when I should have had a week off. And I started just pre-booking a week off every eight or 10 weeks, which was my luxury in managing my schedule in private practice, just to sort of counter that because I always figured it out too late. And then I'm like, okay, I need to, for the integrity of taking good care of these clients, I need to take some time off, but I have to cancel some patients right now to do that. Right. So there's some logistics that I worked around. I definitely did cut down my hours, which helped too. But what I would say has really helped is doing that personal work and that inner work because it changed the way I was showing up. It really broadened my capacity. So now I'm not impacted in the same way that I was. 
So I wouldn't say that just taking time off is the solution. I think that's short term, but definitely through the work that we might talk about today, my capacity broadened and that's what really helped. Okay. I love that. So in terms of connecting and then feeling like you were barely functioning, was it that you were just deeply connected to the stories that you were hearing and then you were kind of getting consumed by them in a way? Or was it just more around just the exhaustion around everything? Because it sounds like you got depersonalized a little bit, right? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. I would say the experience in the moment, that the live moments were just, I was like, my brain isn't working. Mm-hmm. the place I've gone to right now is such a place of feeling and yeah I think maybe yeah. the immersion that to like jump into physio mode felt like right. such a leap wow. and then it felt disjointed in the moment and I think that speaks to sort of the disconnect between how we're taught to be physios and what it really means to be a physio but yeah I remember feeling oh I have to get myself in a different place so I can work with this person, but I don't feel like it's the right thing to move them into a different place right now, mm. necessarily. And it just felt, felt clumsy. Too. Oh my gosh, I can totally envision this in a way. I can totally see how you would be in limbo and feel a little bit paralyzed by it all. So getting into that leap from like connecting and empathizing to compassion, which you know, you're there to serve and you're trying to get into that mode, but you are just so consumed by the emotion of what somebody's going through as well, right? It all just adds up, right? And the more and more people you're seeing, I can see how that would become exhausting and depersonalizing for sure. And I think the depersonalization, and I don't want to speak for you, but is almost like a protective reaction to, I know for me, it's been in the past, I'll depersonalize to guard my emotions a little more or protect myself because I'm feeling emotional, if that makes sense. So it's something that I have to be mindful of for sure. And I've often heard from other people who do experience burnout that it really does feel like they're barely functioning. And it is, it actually is that to some of the most basic levels of functioning too, in some cases that are pretty extreme. So I think to me, reflecting back how much work I could do in that state like you can go you're doing it but you know like I said it's it's more going through the motions Mm -hmm. and that's something that I feel looking back not to be too judgy about it I didn't know better but it's not real integral working if you're prioritizing the relationship if you're going through the motions with the physio you are kind of going through the motions with them like you're making them a sort of more of an object And you're making yourself more of an object too. It's objectifying for everybody. And I think that that's something certainly in my clinic, I have a public health clinic in Vancouver that we work on that balance a lot, that being boundaried with your energy, but being totally present and the expectation and the entitlement of the client to have is there present all the time. And what do we need to do to make that happen? Because that is a part of our responsibility, I think, as physios. Yeah, it's that intangible responsibility, right? That we don't, like you said, maybe technically learn about or Mm -hmm. hear about, but that we're experiencing all the time in a lot of ways. So how did you make that shift then from, like you did kind of the logical thing, you cut back your hours. And then when did you make that journey into stepping into the more inner work that we're going to talk about? 
It was, I fell into it. A friend was doing it and she started doing it and said, this is what you need. This is what you need. Just come to a workshop. I went to a workshop and because it was somatic therapy that I studied, it was my first introduction to the body really in that sense to embody work. And it's just spoke volumes to me. And I was like, oh, this makes more sense than anything else. I'm in, I wasn't even really thinking about it from a professional standpoint. I tried therapy in the past. Talk therapy was never great for me. I felt like that was more going through the motions, whereas somatic therapy was incredibly meaningful for me. Different strokes for different folks, but so it's sort of my language, I would say. Mm-hmm. So I started doing it for me. And when you're in therapy school, it's really all about you most of the time. It's a lot about we learn. It's certainly the way I learned. I was in a cohort with some other health professionals and various people and some therapists. And it was a lot of learning how to relate, very much learning how to relate. So there's two people having a conversation. Where is your energy? Where is energy? When do you split off? When are you present? Tools to get you back there. And then they also we we went into everybody's personal history to understand the things that trigger you and maybe send you out of your body or out of the present moment. And working with those things again, to sort of expand your capacity. So they'll always be there, but they're not necessarily in the driver's seat when you're a physio with a client. Wow. So can you just go back and explain what somatic therapy is for those who are listening, just so they can learn if it applies to them too right now? Yeah, it's just, I would say it's psychotherapy that understands that the body is part of the system. Talk therapy or CBT is very cerebral often. Or it might involve your limbic system, your emotions, but somatic therapy, basically the theory is that the body is a vessel for carrying your history, including trauma or experiences that you have, but it's also just a vessel for wisdom and can let you know where you're at. So my body tells me if I'm present, if I'm tense, if something's right, or if I'm going in the wrong direction with a patient, say, or for myself. So it's just really building a relationship with your body, a source of information that's continually giving data about the moment that you're in. And therapeutically, if you start to work with that, you can gain some power, autonomy, and a bit more resilience to use that. So for example, let's say somebody's had lots of trauma and their body, their nervous system goes into fight and fight very, very easily. So the more you tap into using your body in that way, and it's important that you're in a safe therapeutic relationship when you do that, the sort of wider your capacity, broader your capacity becomes, and then you can handle more basically without going into flight or fight. I feel like that's a very reductive way to explain it, but it's basically therapy, working with the nervous system, working with the body, both as a tool and a source for information. Okay. I love this because I think in ways, this is kind of how I practice in some ways, maybe not as um, personalized in terms of, I know you work in pelvic health and that's a very personal field, I think. And it takes a lot of special therapists to focus in on that because it is loaded, right? I would think there's a lot going on beyond the body, but the body is, like you said, it's like the vessel. It's kind of your compass in a way. And I think that that's what's so beautiful about it too. So do you find that you can, even if a subjectively a patient is not expressing a whole lot, let's say, 
But once you do work with them, can you identify then in their body if there is more going on that you might inquire about or touch on or even any nonverbal type cues or gestures that way? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's quite intuitive too. Mm -hmm. And there's a co-regulation that's happening. So it's the, it's your nervous system and the patient's nervous system interacting. I think I definitely just pick up a sense internally if I'm losing them, so to speak, if I'm going in a direction and they're not coming with me. And then I can course correct that very quickly now. I also can very much feel, not just notice, but feel if they're pretty dysregulated compared to being regulated in the room with me. And particularly in pelvic health, we're not really taught to have boundaries, especially with people in authority, like health professionals, including pelvic health physios. And so you very much see when somebody is saying yes, but their body's saying no. And that's really important in what we do. And a verbal yes and a body no is a no. And it's important that we're actually a place that they learn that themselves. And that's often actually the work that we're doing in those cases. Wow, I love that. That to me is just profound work. And I love that this is an area that we as physios are expanding in and working in and you're leading the way on this in terms of therapists better understanding themselves through this process too, and how we can facilitate our patients to feel safer and to expand more, like you said, in terms of regulation parasympathetically. So can you tell me like, I might be jumping the gun a bit, but I know the topic of your talk at Congress that's coming up this weekend is on self-awareness and the importance of understanding that as a therapist. So how do you know when you know yourself? Do you think we ever really fully know ourselves? Like, I think that's work that we just commit to for life. But how do you know when you know yourself, even if it's in the moment, Anakin? I think that we all have themes. We all have fairly big themes. And they're often fairly similar. And I think the work is to know, what are my general themes? Yeah, that's kind of easy sometimes, not always, but sometimes the work is to know what is driving my behavior in this moment? Mm -hmm. Am I totally regulated? Does my nervous system feel safe? Am I totally attuned with the patient? And is this about physio? Or have I been tripped? into one of my themes. And that theme is actually making the decisions for me because I'm in more of a reactionary sort of survival place. Okay. And it sounds dramatic, but I see it all the time. And I've done it all the time with clients. Could this be an inner dialogue that you're having like continuously then throughout the day or even with one patient, you could be going back and forth with this inner dialogue? Like with myself? Right. Yes, certainly. I think that the dialogue is probably a bit more from the body. I can tell if my body's getting agitated. I feel very comfortable saying to a patient, I'm just going to take a breath and think for a moment before we continue. Mm. And really, I'm just thinking something's off. I got a course correct. And I think it's one of the big things that I've learned through this work is more important to do that than to push through going on the wrong path, even if it might feel a bit weird at first. Yeah. Um, But yes, I am having that dialogue. It's, I think because I've done it so much, it's very quick now that I may not even notice or it doesn't happen as much. Like I said, because my capacity got broader, so I'm not in the space as much. Plus, I don't treat clinically quite as much now at all either. I think 
I don't know if it would help or if I could give maybe some examples. I would love that. Can show up. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you actually. I can give you an example from me historically, and then I can tell you some stuff that I commonly see, see okay. in practice. Great. One for me is that I really struggled connecting with older men mm-hmm. who were clients, not necessarily connecting and having rapport, but in terms of if I had to step into more of what felt like a place of authority, feeling comfortable to do that. Mm-hmm. I look pretty young for my age. I also, because I trained in the UK, I became a physio relatively young compared to Canadians too. Okay. So I just felt, I just had my own projection of a power differential where I didn't feel that this person was going to listen to me. So a little bit of gender stuff and a Mm -hmm. little bit of age stuff. Mm -hmm. And then particularly if it was, let's say a sexual health problem, or if I was seeing them for pelvic health, it just, I didn't feel comfortable speaking to them about that stuff. I presumed that they didn't feel comfortable talking to me. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Did you feel that way or did you think they felt that way? Yeah. I felt they felt that way, but because I was projecting that I wasn't sort of owning that space as a professional, like I should have. And then it's like, you're playing catch up all the time with this person. And I wouldn't say it was all, but that was definitely a theme, Mm -hmm. definitely a theme for me. And that has gotten much better over time. So could I ask then when you were a little less aware of it, let's say, what would be your theme? Like what would be your reaction in those cases where you didn't feel too comfortable and you were projecting? I think I wasn't going to places of vulnerability and emotional emotional openness. And I wasn't really allowing them to go there either. Okay, so kind you of know? offloading I mean, it's that. Like, yeah, it's not that you have to cry so they can cry, but it's like you as the professional generally sort of hold the power in the space in the room. Mm-hmm. So if I have to generally allow them to go to that place, and if I'm just taking over the session and going this, 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 do this exercise, they're never going to get to that place, right? right. So I, I think that what I did was the autopilot, let's just take the physio boxes. This is the diagnosis. Let's do some release. Here's some exercises. Here's some education. And I didn't focus on the relationship because I found the relationship hard. Right. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. And even right now, I see this in my own practice too, with a client, like a patient of mine right now, similar situation, older, authoritative type gentleman. And it happened today, actually, and I reflected on it a little bit. So kind of went through the reaction, like you said, in terms of the physio mode, like we got through the exercises and stuff. And I've gotten to the point in my career where that feels pretty depersonalized to me. So we do that, but we're also engaging and we're chatting. And towards the end, he starts crying a little bit. And it kind of built up. And this has happened a few times because we've been working together a little while now. And this has happened a few times. And, you know, it's not very common that you see older authoritative gentlemen cry, right? But he's been through something quite traumatic. And not even just this alone, but his life, when you talk about people's livelihoods and what they've experienced in life. I'm very fortunate. I spend a lot of one-to-one time with my patients. So I get to have these conversations and it only for me has enhanced the therapeutic relationship on both levels, right? In terms of the shared power and things like that as well. And they get better. The outcome improves. Exactly. Exactly. Because I do think that's held in the body somewhere as well. Also in his mind too, right? Just the worry that he might've been feeling. 
So just expressing that and releasing that and channeling it, I think definitely has helped them. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because that just literally happened to me today. And I thought about that as well, in a sense, about how I kind of got into physio mode at first. And then we chatted more and more, got a little personal in a way, just about his life a bit more. And and then that seemed to kind of release a bit of emotion for him. And I mean, this is the best he's done so far. So it's coming together for sure. And I think, like you said, then it starts to expand more, right? That capacity starts to expand more for engagement and for just tolerating more overall. We kind of touched on this a bit. So then how does it improve, even taking with this example, how has your personal work now improved your interactions or even your outcomes? I think this is something we talk about in the clinic a lot, that if the client's not improving, Mm -hmm. so ignoring all the other variables in their life that would impact that, if we're just looking internally to the clinic, is there something clinical that we're missing? I kind of look at three strands. Is there something professional, like a professional thing that's sort of different to clinical? So like, you know what the problem is, but more, how are you handling it? Do they have buy-in? Do they know what the plan is? Does the plan fit them? Sort of those kind of professional skills, as opposed to sort of diagnostic type clinical reasoning. And Mm -hmm. then the third thing is, where are you at personally with this person? Mm -hmm. And I think we spend a lot of time learning the first strand, the clinical strand as physios. I think the other two are just as important for impacting outcome. And the professional skills, certainly since I've been a clinic owner, that's massively improved. I'm much more aware of that now, much more than I was before. But that personal thing was like, okay, if this is personal, what's coming up for me? And how can I repair that so it's not impacting this person? Like I said, questioning, is there some of my history or issues or stuff or whatever you want to call it that's Mm -hmm. affecting this relationship or interaction or my perception of them? So. That could be, let's say, which I don't, that I had a very sort of overbearing, controlling mother. Mm-hmm. And it's very triggering for me to have an, then an older, overbearing, very controlling client, potentially, because it attaches into the same place in yeah. terms of this, they're both relationships. I'm just a human being. It can be harder to deal with stuff that hits closer to home on an emotional level. So it's, figuring out, am I personally in a place with this person where it really is a therapeutic relationship? Or am I keeping them at a distance because they remind me or struggle with that kind of dynamic for X, Y, and Z reason? Right. So even just that awareness of it is probably powerful, right? Just even bringing that to awareness of, am I making it personal in terms of my own? Am I making it about me? (laughs) Essentially, right? And I mean, like you said, we're only human. So we are going to make it about ourselves. And I feel like we don't recognize that enough because we think we're all serving, right? And we are in the profession, but we are also human. And I think, like you said, just being aware of that, that we can be projecting or we can be bringing our own personal experiences without even realizing it until you actually take a moment to check in with yourself. Yeah. And I think it's really important to do that check-in, but I think you also that's where you need to understand yourself right. and what your kind of themes are that you struggle with, where, like you said, like name it to tame it, that it really is powerful to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. I think the other piece, sorry, I know you're about to ask something, but I didn't want to forget this thread, is that 
it doesn't have to be something about your history or your personal life. It can just also be that as physios, we're a little, we're a high achieving bunch in North America. We're a little bit competitive. Sometimes we're a little bit type A. And it can also just be tied into, like we've talked about a lot before, perfectionism and or our professional identity being tied in to a certain outcome, which again is making it about you rather than about them. Yeah, I was just going to say, just attaching yourself to the outcome. And I mean, I'm not trying to be negative towards education, obviously, because it's done a lot, but formal education kind of teaches us that, right? It conditions us that way because we're graded based on our outcomes. We're evaluated based on how we execute tasks. So we are kind of point A to point B that way. So in order to check in, do you find that this is best facilitated in a group type setting? Do you find this is something that you do with your staff, with your team? Or do you find that this is kind of better on just doing it personally, yourself or both? You mean check in to see what's making it personal or about you? sort of right, Or even professional? Yeah, I think it depends on your skill level with that. Certainly in the environment that I'm in, I have the most experience. Mm -hmm. I don't tend to have to go for help with my own stuff anymore. I've had years of help with that in the past, though. And certainly for my team, some of this stuff is pretty new to them. And it's me as a mentor gently holding up a mirror so they can see and learn what's happening for them. And through the discomfort of that, essentially, ultimately be liberated from it. It's like, we don't want to see it. But when we do, and it goes, things get a lot easier, you know, yeah, it's it's- a lot easier. But I do think relationship is very important to that. We need to feel this is sort of going a little bit back to sort of deep back into the somatic therapy approach. But All our little wounds tend to come from our relationships and they really work well to be healed in relationships. Not that there's a final endpoint in healing, but certainly if you're a high achiever with high expectations of yourself and struggle with perfectionism and you have a mentor that's consistently, consistently telling you that you're good as you are and I don't want perfection and you're great as you are, you need that. Everybody needs that. Yeah, and it's uncomfortable, but we need it. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than the perfectionism. (laughs) Yeah, I totally hear you. And you know what I love about this right now, what you just said, because I have these conversations with clinicians mainly talking about burnout and sharing their stories. And I don't know, we are connected on Instagram. And just recently, I posted a conversation that I had with a family physician last week and um, another fellow physio was kind of like, Jen, what are we going to do when this pandemic's over? I'm worried about the well-being of healthcare providers and everything going on. And she's kind of like, what do we do to kind of help each other in a way? And I said, well, we got to have conversations like this and normalize these conversations and to even take it a step further, Anakin, what you're doing is you've gone through the work, right? You've invested so much and now you are mentoring others. And that is what we need. We need people who have done the work, who are aware of these things to now help future providers, or even fellow providers do the same, I really think in order to protect ourselves against further burnout, perpetuating it, and also having it manifest into something more in terms of mental illness and things like that. So I really think this mentorship piece is important. So I thank you so much for the work you're doing 
in this? Thank you. I'm nothing but inspired to do it. I think that the other piece that feels very important to me is just, like you said, normalizing this within the physio profession. We do have those perfectionist traits in our physio culture. We're like all go a lot of us until I had the struggles that I had. There were never these conversations with my colleagues. And and I could have started them, but I didn't. I was just following the tone that was set for me. And that's not just a physio thing. That is just a cultural thing. But I do think it's rife in the physio world. And I think normalizing in our culture, in our professional culture, that we're all human. We're not robot physios. We're human physios. That's one of my favorite things to say. And that we're all vulnerable and none of us are perfect. And let's just let each see each other in that place rather than try to prove things to ourselves and other people. I think that in itself would do so much to help burnout because there's so much. If you're already working as a health provider, if you are adding all this energy on top of that, trying to be perfect, which you will never attain, that mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something that we can change. You can be overworked and underpaid and there's, you know, but if you can control that piece, at least it gives you so much more autonomy. Exactly. So much more power and resilience than people realize. And that's what I mean. Like some people, they really swing hard towards the system in terms of burnout and blaming on the system. And some people swing really hard to self-care. And I think it definitely is a combination of both. But I think it starts with us and we can just start it in our own communities. So like you're doing it in your clinic, your mentoring, your team. I think if we can all just take that under our wing a bit and I think collectively that would grow over time, right? There's an all or none solution to this, unfortunately, that many people may be looking for right now. But people are, I mean, even this conversation, I'm having more and more of these conversations. And I feel like five years ago, there was something that felt a little bit secret I don't know if secret's the right word but it's kind of we'd whisper to each other you know Mm, like like yeah we're like we're going against the grain or we're the different (laughs) (laughs) because because that's what it felt like I don't know if that was true but that's what it felt like and now I feel like it's much more in the norm to have these conversations so I feel like it is changing a lot yeah and I think we're just closely identifying as being human now more than ever as healthcare providers in general now. So can you explain the difference? I know part of your talk on knowing oneself is the difference between being and doing. I love this topic. So Mm -hmm. could you chat about it as it pertains to the healthcare space? Well, one thing I would say is that with being and doing, one is not better than the other. We need both. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we need to do things and we need to be. I think we've fallen, you know, physios, generally are just taught to do we're not taught to be and I think that if you're in I think the place this is just coming up to me now when you were asking me at the beginning of our conversation about what it was like when I was feeling really out of it when I was feeling burnt out with those challenging clients and their histories I think I was stuck in a being place actually okay I was like okay I can just be with you here but now I don't know how to do because that feels like in a totally different realm to where we are and I can also totally be a doing physio and be going through the motions and not really be and be present and really what we want is both and Mm -hmm. that they're not two separate things like if you're choosing to just sit and be 
with the patient and just be present to yourself and be with them. That is the thing that you're doing in that moment. And you're making a choice to do that. And then to move into action, whether that means education, exercise, hands-on, doesn't mean you have to leave that place of being. But that's so often what it does mean because we're not trained and taught. And it's a skill to still stay connected to yourself and the person in that internal sort of nervous system level while you go into action. Yeah. So that's what I was wondering about was how do you simultaneously I mean, this could be my cerebral side right now, right? Just <laughs> to understand this. <laughs> and probably many other people who are listening. So how can we simultaneously be connected to both ourselves and our patients to better empower them, let's say, and to still yield positive outcomes? How can we simultaneously be and do, let's say? Practice. Yeah. I would say the first thing is, is that you need to know when you're not present. So let's talk about essentially being present. Okay. And then we could break that down and say, I'm present to myself internally, my interception, what's happening in my body. I'm present to the client too, and my external environment. You'd call that dual awareness. And that's a therapeutic skill that you can learn that I learned in school. And it's something that you can practice, even as a suggestion, just pick a client tomorrow and be like, okay, well, I know this client, this is an easy client. So I'm really just going to try and while I do this, See if I can focus on myself at the same time here and just mm-hmm. practice it and just notice, oh, okay, forgot myself again. Okay, I'll come back and forgot myself again. Okay, I'll come back. Just practice. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is recognize what it feels like when you're not present. So what it can feel like for me is that I'm not noticing my environment as much. It's a little bit tunnel vision. My eyes can feel a little fuzzy, like my vision's not as clear. I'm not quite making eye contact with the other person in a way that connects. I can feel adrenalized in my body, that my breathing's shallower or I'm not breathing. I can feel tension in places. You can feel all those things and be present too. It's really becoming practicing your body awareness and learning what it feels like when you're not present and then having some tools to get you present again. And I think one of the key things that's really important is to just to make the decision that you're going to make that a priority because it's very easy to go through the motions not being present because if you're not present, essentially, it's your body protecting you from being present because there's something uncomfortable about being present. Like we don't go there for fun, right? You know? Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that because I was going to say being present is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's uncomfortable to be present. <laughs> Go can, ahead. I mean, there's so many factors, but it can be your environment. It can be that particular patient. It can be, and this is what I'm going to talk about at Congress. It can be all the things that are going on in your life. There's so many things that can impact your ability to be present in the moment. So partly what we talked about is understanding what your personal themes are and working on them. So if that's the thing that's sort of shooting you out of your body, you start to have some control over that. But even that aside, let's not dig deep beneath the surface. It's just like, I know that it's my job to be present with this person. I know that I feel like this when I'm not present. And I know this gets me back to presence. And I'm just going to commit to that and just keep doing it. And it really is just, you you need to understand why it matters and really have that mindset shift for it to work. I think yeah. because it is challenging 
But what I found is it makes your life so much easier. So you got to try it to see the results. And then it's very easy to keep going down that path. I agree. I think the more self-aware you are, and I know for me personally, it's definitely made things easier. And I think you and I've talked about this before in one of our other conversations, but somebody on the outside looking in at the way I might practice or interact with a patient or client might wonder how it flowed in that way, let's say, when really the answer to that, it's not just experience, but it's also knowing myself more than anything. And I think that that's something to bring awareness to future providers who are coming in. So can you give me an example of how to get back to yeah. be present? Yeah, there's different ways. Feeling your body can be one, touching, feeling your feet on the floor, feeling your butt on the stool, rubbing your legs, sort of feel it, rubbing your arms, feeling into your body, orienting to your environment. So looking around the room, one thing, and you can't do this in a therapy session, but you can practice if you're having an argument with your partner. We do this all the time. It might sound ridiculous, but you look around the room and you name colors and objects. So as I look around now, white phone, red Kindle, green cup, gray stone. And if you are not present, that is surprisingly difficult to do. Because when you're not present, you're not present to the environment. When you're doing that, you're requiring your body to get present and your brain to get back online and to say what you see. So that can be a really good trick. If not just focusing on things, or you can do it in your head, but it's more effective if you do it out loud, if there's not a client in front of you, making contact with the client also, like use them as well. You're co-regulating with each other. So making eye contact, connecting, if that's appropriate, depending on what's happening in that moment. Breath is the other vehicle for that, which is really commonly talked about. Mm-hmm. Generally in the physio room, I don't think people would be in a place where breath wouldn't work, but just to note that going into parasympathetic breathing is not always the best thing to do. That might feel unsafe to do. So good to have options of what works for you. I think there are the key things. So in terms of dialogue with a patient, is this where you would say listening becomes a part of being present? So you kind of said in a way, describing the room, the environment, when you are then focusing on the client and they're explaining something subjectively, let's say, and then you're paraphrasing or expressing what you think you've heard, is that in a way as well, would you say a marker of being present? I think you can do that and not be present. Okay. Yeah, you can, because that's something that, yes, it's important. And Mm -hmm. I do that all the time, but it's not necessarily a vehicle for getting present. You can do that and not be present because presence is really where your nervous system is. And physios, we are highly adapted beings that we can learn motivational interviewing and we can use that technique and not be present the whole time we're using that technique. And it probably won't work that well, right? Yeah, it probably won't work well. But using cognitive things generally doesn't work. Okay. Yeah, I would say, but I would say that I'm very much coming from a place of somatic training. So that's a bias that I have. I'm not saying it can't. I'm saying that's not what I learned or not what works for me. Okay, gotcha. I just wanted to ask because I know in just terms in terms of communicating with patients for me, sometimes I find the more present I am in terms of listening, the more it becomes more of an open dialogue 
you know what I'm saying? And it's not so, yeah. it isn't so, so it isn't so structural or it isn't so technical at that point. It's more yes. personal, I guess, yeah. more conversational. Yeah, I agree actually. And I can maybe reframe my answer that I think that can be a tool to keep you from going off into not being present, if that makes sense. Right. So that's, going that's off into, I'm going to plan my next thing or whatever. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Or this is my next patient. Yes, I would say absolutely. I think that's really vital for that. Okay. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. So we're cutting short on time. We only have five minutes left. <laughs> I had more to ask you, but as usual, <laughs> we're going to have to continue the conversation, Anakin. I have a couple of questions for you. First, can you tell me what's next for you? So upon practicing, you're mentoring, you're now speaking at Congress to a <laughs> physiotherapist. What's next or what's happening right now, let's say? I am finishing my master's this summer and I'm very much in an exploratory experimentation phase with how to effectively teach physios not only this content but in terms of the pedagogy of how to teach it I'm very much exploring that right now with various groups and with my staff at the clinic too that's really the next project exploring that putting what I've learned into work and seeing what works and doesn't and working on my skill set there so are you looking at eventually I might be jumping ahead are you looking at formalized education or are you looking at more in terms of teaching or are you looking at more just kind of your own thing? All of the above. All of the above. Okay. If I could change physio education to right. <laughs> anything that I could do to do that, then yes. Yeah. Am I going to kill myself fighting up a hill? If that's what it takes, I don't think so. So I love how the physio world is changing. And yeah, I would jump at any opportunity for sure. But there's no exact plans. I'm just I'm building my skill set right now and we'll see what opportunities come, but I'm pretty committed to it and inspired. That's, That's how wonderful. I'm feeling right now. Yeah. I love that. And so where can people connect with you and even follow you if you're on social? You yeah, Instagram is where I mostly am. I can't work Twitter at the art of physio on Instagram. And then the clinic is the cheerful pelvis. And there's a website, anakinchadwick.com that has some of my musings and learnings and more of a, a blog where I'm just trying to get some information down for people who want it. So there's that there too. And just to say thank you for asking, I'd love for if anybody has any comments or questions, I really, I really want to start building some community around this stuff. So I'd love to hear from anybody. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming out and sharing that with everybody. And I really appreciate the work you're doing personally and professionally. I just think if more people could just get on board and reach out, join you, or even just observe what you're doing, what you're about, and just have a look for themselves and see if it's for them, that would be awesome in itself, just to raise more awareness. Yeah, thank you so much. Jen. I love this conversation. I always love chatting with you. Like, likewise, you're awesome. So I'm <laughs> going to let you go before it cuts me off. <laughs> But we'll chat soon. I thank you so, so much for your time and for your wisdom and for your insights. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward. And I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes. 
And you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.